0: Man of the word, and I'm sure we'll have a great time as he speaks to us. Thank you. Good morning. I'm so sorry I couldn't bring the, the sun over from Spain. It's been lovely over there. I understand it's not been quite so nice over here, but uh, I love England and I love being back with my family. It's great. I love to, love to see you. I've missed you. And uh, it's good to see what God's going to do in the next season with us as we go into the autumn. Um, This morning we're going to be going back to our, or carrying on in our series in John. And uh, this morning I want to focus on um, the fact that we have two perspectives. Um, We've got God's perspective and our perspective. And we see even in the title, um, Jesus incomparable or irrelevant. You might have the perspective that he's irrelevant. And I hope this morning that I can move you on a bit from going from irrelevancy to being incomparable or without comparison. And it just amazes me in life how we can see, see the same situation in two different perspectives. Um, just, uh, just being on holiday, as I said, and I love going for a coffee and uh, sitting with Liz on the seafront and just watching the people go by. I don't know if you like um, people watching. It's quite interesting. And um, every now and again, someone walks by and you thought, they look just like so-and-so. Have you ever found that? You thought, that person just looks like so-and-so. I say to them, don't they look like that? And it, No. They're <laughs> looking from two totally different perspectives. It's amazing how the human um, brain works and processes all different things. Um, and we can look at things. Now, um, just to illustrate a little bit more, I thought I'd show you a, a picture, if you could have that up, Joe. Um, this is... Uh, a, well, there's two women. Can you see there's a young woman there? Or an old woman? Who can see a young woman in that picture? Yeah, it's probably about half. Who can see an old woman in that picture? Can anyone see both? Oh, you clever lot. Like you've probably seen it before. Um, I'll try and explain. The young woman's from the side. That, um, the old, if you can see the old woman, her eye is the young woman's ear. And... The chin of the old woman is the neck of the young woman. I don't know if you can see that. Um, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But it, I promise you there are two people in there. <laughs> the people who followed Jesus uh, 2,000 years ago, they had a different perspective of what, um, of what Jesus was going to do. Can you take that picture away because everyone's distracted now? <laughs> Maybe we put it up afterwards so you can have another look and I'll explain it to you. Yeah, the people uh, that followed Jesus around had the perspective that Jesus was going to save them from the Romans, that he was going to chuck out the Romans, he was going to provide for their every need and he was going to be their Messiah that they were expecting. Jesus had another plan. He said um, he came as a suffering, humbly, humble servant Came to serve and to die on a cross, which is quite different to what the people in those days were expecting. But God's plan was always for the future that through Jesus doing that, he was going to conquer sin and death. So Jesus' perspective was different to theirs. Um, And we will see that this morning as we go through. We'll see God's perspective and our, our perspective. We'll see our responsibility and God's sovereignty. And all of that is mixed in what we're going to see this morning. So, um, if you turn to John 6, if you wouldn't mind, I'm not going to read the whole um, chapter, 71 verses, and I'm just going to quickly go over um, the first bit. Jesus has just fed 5,000 men. Now that's possibly... if I change, Am I right still? You can still hear me. Yeah? Um, Jesus just fed 5,000 men. Now that's potentially... Up to 20,000 people, because if you count women and children as well, um, which is about a quart of Hastings, and he's just fed them with five small loaves and and two fish. So a quart of Hastings fed by that many, which is an amazing, amazing sign. He's then sort of gone for a rest up into the mountains. The disciples have gone across in the boat, and Jesus has then walked on water to the other side. And the people are excited about what Jesus is doing. They're expecting their deliverer to come and they're looking for him all over the place. And we pick it up in John 6, verse 25, um, and they've just found him. So we go from there. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you, lo- you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now I'm amazed that right at the beginning we, we think of Jesus as meek and mild, but he immediately addresses them, saying, you're, you're not looking for me, you just want, want what I can provide for you. Jesus is so direct, I love it. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? I'm just amazed at that. You know, What sign will you give? Jesus has just fed up to 20,000 of them with a, with a small boy's packed lunch and they're asking for a sign. Um, we can so often think, um, God, I will believe when God gives me a sign. Well, not necessarily because they didn't. Um, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, if I was advising Jesus at this point, I'd ask him to tone it down a bit because this is, he's just going into amazing teaching which they are just not getting. I can just imagine the disciples shifting nervously as Jesus is talking about um, what, what appears to be cannibalism. Um, verse 53, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing of it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? You bet your life it's a hard teaching. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. I think uh, we're going to need some help to unpack this passage this morning. Some very hard words, but they have spirit and they have life in them. So I think it would be good to pray and ask God to help me, ask God to help you to understand. So let's just pray. Jesus, you said some pretty amazing things. Things that are hard for the natural mind to take in. Help us to hear what you are saying with spiritual ears. Holy Spirit, I ask you to illuminate your words and let it be life to us this morning. Help me to speak your words clearly. Help us to feed on Jesus this morning and see that everything we need is found in him. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Thank you, Lord. So I've got three points this morning. Um, Jesus, the bread of life that saves us. Jesus, the bread of life that satisfies us and Jesus, the bread of life that secures us. The first point is that Jesus, the bread of life that saves us. Now, um, hopefully, if you've been coming here for some while, you'll understand what salvation means, what we talk about being saved. But some of you, it may be your first time this morning, so I'm just going to briefly talk about what it means to be saved. Um, the Bible is very clear throughout the Bible. I'm going to use a lot of uh, scripture passages this morning to back up what I'm saying. It's not my ideas, this is the Bible speaking and God speaking through his word. Um, the Bible makes it clear that we are all, all sinners. We're all sinful by nature and by choice. None of us do what God wants us to do. We go our own way. We do it my way. And the Bible says in, in Romans 3:23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means all of us have sinned and fallen short of the standard that God requires. None of us have reached that standard. And, and even worse, it says in Romans 6:23 that the wages of sin is death. So we're in, we're in a bad position without God. We need God to help us. And that's what the, the Gospel means to save us, that, that Jesus came to take away our sin. He came to take our place. Jesus came on the cross. We've been singing about the gospel all morning. Near, near enough, every song we sang was the gospel. It's talking about Jesus coming to save. You came down to save us and rescue us. And um, one of my favourite verses in the Bible is 2, 2 Corinthians 5:21, where it says, God made him who knew no sin or had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took our place he took our sin on himself, the sin that, uh, that we deserve, the, the, the sin that just separated us from God. He took our sin and he gave us our righteousness. What a fantastic exchange. What a thing. God is, he is incomparable. No one else could do that. He saved us. He saved us. So you might say, like the people in our passage this morning say, well, what works do we need to do then? How can I, how can I work my way to earning this salvation? How can I um, earn it? Well, you know, we try, religions try to, to reach a standard. They say if you, if you reach a certain standard, if you do good, good works, you've got to reach a certain way, then you'll get, you'll get there. You're, you know, if you're better, more better than you're worse, then, then you'll get there. The Bible says no, we were dead in our sins. So we can't earn our, earn our salvation. We can't do it by good works. Um, Santino said it very well a couple of weeks ago. It's very simple. The gospel is simple so that young, even young people can understand. Jesus said to believe. Um, let me just see where, where I'm here. Um, it's in verse 35. Um, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And again, in verse 40 of our passage, it says, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. That's it. Believe. You could do that now. You could do that now if you want to. Um, you may have been on an Alpha course. You may have been coming in a few weeks. You may be ready. You may feel your heart pounding. You just believe. You just say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry, I repent of my sin, I turn to you, I believe that you died on the cross for me. And you can turn from death to life, you can do it now. Jesus said in verse 37, uh, whoever comes to me I will never drive away. So, you can come to him. If you come to him, he's not going to drive you away. And if you've just made that decision now, if you just prayed in your heart and asked God to come in, that to you, from your perspective, is a free choice. You've made that choice, you may have looked at it and you may have um, someone might have um, given you the gospel sometime before you may have been on an alpha course and you might have weighed up the pros and cons what it means to be a Christian and from our perspective it's a free choice from God's perspective it's a little different because the Bible says that we were dead in our sins we're not able to make that choice of our own in our on our own way um a dead person is not able to make any choices at all. It says in Ephesians two verse one, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And spiritually dead people can't make a choice to follow Jesus, just as a physically dead person, if there was a coffin there and I offered it a tea or coffee, can't make a choice. Can't even if it could make a choice, couldn't drink it because they're dead. <laughs> You can't make the choice. And um, so we look into our passage and see what it is from God's perspective. In verse 37 again it says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. That's interesting, isn't it? God gives people to come to Jesus. And again, even clearer in verse 44 it says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And again, in verse 65, it says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. We are not able to save ourselves because we don't have the will to do it. I'm going to read another verse to you. Romans 3, verse 10 to 12 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So we don't have the inclination, the capacity or the desire to follow God. God chooses us. God chooses us. All of us were dead in our sins. None of us are making it. But God, in his mercy and in his grace, has said, I choose you. I choose you. I've elected you. It's called, um, it's called unconditional election. If you want to know the... Um, if you like big words... In fact, I'm going to, I've got enough time, I'm going to very briefly explain to you um, the the two avenues of of Christianity. If you like a bit of meat, I'm going to give you some meat this morning, um, in meaty words, I mean. So we're going to talk about um, Arminianism and Calvinism. Um, For those of you that like that sort of thing, James Arminius was, was born in 1559, that's 500 years ago, and he believed that um, a, a thing called prevenient grace, which means that God looked in in the future, saw that we would make a decision for him, uh, for him, and then ch- and predestined us based on that pre, pre um, decision. And um, the other option is Calvinism, and that's John Calvin. Then um, didn't believe that he said no. There's there's if you if you say that there's you have to believe that man made a decision and there's something that we can boast about and Ephesians 2.9 says you cannot boast it's not by works you can't boast and the, and the five points of Calvinism are that um, and we've already done the first one it's total depravity that means we're all sinful everyone has sinned everyone has fallen short no one in themselves can, um, can come to God we have all sinned the second point is what we're just talking about now is unconditional election which means God has chosen us, not for anything that we did, not for anything that we, um, but just because of his mercy, not because he saw any good in us, not because he saw that, yes, that person's good, I'm going to choose them and not choose that person. None of us were any good. Um, the third point is limited atonement, which means that um, Jesus um, only died for those that, um, that he saved, those the elect, and the fourth point is um, irresistible grace. That means if God's marked your card, if God's chosen you, then you can't, it's irresistible. God has chosen you and he's going he's to see you through. And the fifth point is perseverance of the saints. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. I'm going to ta- talk about how, as it's God's salvation and he's chosen us, he will see us through to the end because it's, it's all from him. Um, I've got a quote here from uh, Spurgeon, who was a a preacher in the 19th century, a great preacher, I think one of the greatest preachers. He he was amazing. He saw thousands of people um, come to his church and he said some things that people are quoting all the time now. He says, There are two great truths in this platform that I have proclaimed for many years. The first is that salvation is free to every man who will have it. The second is that God gives salvation to a people whom whom he has chosen. And these truths are not in conflict with each other in the least degree. They're not in conflict. We choose and God elects us. This is what I was saying at the beginning. There's two perspectives. You have our choice and God's sovereign work over us. Now you could say... um, one of the p- things that people said, because of that, if, if it's free and God's chosen us, then really there's no real much point for evangelism, is there? We can, if God's choosing people and it's uh, unconditional and, uh, and we can't get away from it, then we could sit in church not do any evangelism at all. And um, it sadly there's a few streams, a few denominations that thought like that, but they fail to see our perspective. Our perspective is that God's given us partnership with him to preach the gospel to the world that's an amazing privilege we have we're not to sit here and just let let people come in and just hope they come we've been given an amazing privilege to go and preach the gospel to be in partnership with God himself the great commission says go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations that is a very active thing that we can do and you look at the, the life of the Apostle Paul who, um, who constantly was battled and bruised, wasn't he? Was, uh, he was flogged, he was whipped, he was shipwrecked, everything because he had that passion to see people saved. He knew, he knew that God had elected people but he said, I'm going to go and join in the partnership that God's given me. Um, but So you might think, well, should I then, if I'm not feeling that passion um, call today does that mean that God's not elected me no you still have the choice you keep exploring come back again next week and come and hear some more you might not be feeling that God's quickening that in you now but but God just the fact that you're here God's on your case keep exploring it's our responsibility we won't have an excuse when we come before God um, and say well I wasn't chosen you have the opportunity you have the opportunity to come to him so go for it I say the um, second point that um, I want to speak about this morning is Jesus is the bread of life that satisfies us. I don't know where you get your satisfaction from. We can so easily turn to physical, like the people in our story today. They had their, their stomachs fed, stomachs full up, and, and they wanted that satisfaction again. They came to Jesus because he, he could feed them again. And we can do that sometimes, can't we? Even, even when we're Christians, we can look to the world sometimes for our satisfaction. There might be many ways that you look for your satisfaction. You might be looking in money. Maybe I can get that, that lucky lottery ticket and I can win all that money and just, uh, it's going to be great, you know, I don't have to do anything more. You, t- you talk to people that won the lottery and it's not as easy as that. It doesn't fully satisfy. Um, what about a bit of retail therapy? Some of you like to go out shopping and that satisfies you for a time. It's lovely to have that new thing, is it? The latest gadget, the latest iPhone, the latest car, whatever it is. That might be the thing that, you try, and, that try and satisfies you. Maybe it's uh, going on the career ladder. Maybe it's uh, working to get a better job and getting up in, in, um, in, in your work. Maybe that's the thing you're looking to satisfy you. Maybe it's sex. Maybe you're looking in, in for various partners to satisfy you. Maybe looking from one to the next. Maybe you're looking on pornography to see if that will um, satisfy you and give you something. Um, food. Food's a good one. It could be too little or too much. Maybe um, you're denying yourself food because you want to get to that, that size 10 or size 8 or size 0 as it is now. Maybe that's what you want. Maybe that will satisfy you. Um, or what about eating too much? What about, um, you know, you can't just eat a couple of biscuits. You have to finish the packet. You just want more and more. Maybe food is the thing that you think satisfies you, but it doesn't. There's, there's a soul hunger. There's something in your soul that's missing and you can't fill it with, um, with uh, physical things. Maybe they're all your perspectives and none of them are wrong in themselves as such. You know, money's good to provide and to, to be generous with other people. Um, going up the career ladder is good to provide for your family, to, to, to have a good job. Sex is good within marriage. God's given us sex to enjoy within marriage. And food is good. God's given us food to just enjoy. It's just lovely eating a nice, a nice meal and God gives it to us to enjoy. But um, let's look at God's perspective this morning. Um, God's perspective is that it's spiritual we're looking for. That's the hung. That's what he said. That Jesus said it's not the physical that, that, that matters, it's the spiritual. And um, what does it mean? What, what did Jesus mean to feed on him and eat his flesh? Let's just look at that again. In verse 53, it says, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So how do we feed on Jesus? It's not obviously not talking about literal feedings, not cannibalism or anything like that. I believe that it's a spiritual thing. I believe that it's, spending, it's simply spending time with Jesus. It's developing our relationship with him. When you feed on something, it... Becomes inside you. It becomes part of you. And when we feed on Jesus, when we spend time with Him, when we sort of read our Bibles, His Word, we feed on His Word. When we spend time with Him and pray to Him, when we um, worship, He becomes part of us. He becomes the one we can feed on, and um, and it's wonderful. And and some of you, and many of you know that, and, and yet you can still sometimes go for what the world offers. I just want to encourage you to, to feed on him. Spend time with him. Get, let him be the one that satisfies you. Let him be the one that feeds your soul. Um, I love this book, uh, this um, quote from John Piper in his book written called Hunger for God. It's about fasting. Um, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied, it is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. Have you nibbled at the table of the world and, you know, sometimes when you eat too many things before a main meal and you're suddenly not hungry and, and you've got a lovely food in front of you and yet you've wasted it on a few silly things. Let's feed on God. And the third point I just want to talk about this morning as I finish is um, Jesus is the bread of life that secures us. So how do you keep going as a Christian? How do you get to that place where you cross the finishing line and Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's something I want to hear ringing in my ears when I, well, I'm not saying walk through that pearly gate, that's not a biblical term, but when you get into God's presence, um, And first at this, I'm going to look at God's perspective first and then see our reaction to that. In verse 37 of our passage today, it says, All those the Father gives gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none, I shall lose none of all those he has given me. Jesus isn't about to lose you. But raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. That's amazing, isn't it? Jesus is what we call a complete finisher. What he starts, he will finish. Jesus went all the way to the cross. He went through so many difficult things and he completes what he starts. Um... I just want us to settle this in us just before I go into our reaction to that. In John 10, um, verse 27 to 30, it said, My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So, that's okay then, isn't it? So we're all safe and secure, we're all Christians, we've got our ticket in our back pocket to heaven and uh, there's nothing more to do. Is that right? Do you think that's right? No. <laughs> no, it's not. The Bible makes it very clear what our perspective to be, should be is. We're not to just sit and relax and not to be complacent. There's a very sobering verse and I said there's going to be a lot of balance here Um, in Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13, it says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a bit more difficult, isn't it? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But you just said that God has me secure and God won't let me go. We've got those two things that balance together. The reason you know that you are saved it's because you keep going to the end. That's how you know that you're saved, because you keep going. If you fall away, or if you suddenly say, I'm not doing this anymore, I don't think you are really saved. And we don't know who's truly saved. We know in ourselves, but you can't judge people from, you, know, you don't know who, who um, God has and who, got, who is, is secure. We know in ourselves, we know yeah, I'm going to keep going and everything else. And it's a really difficult balance, but we have to keep that in balance. We keep going to the end. That's how we know. It's possible to know, to to see someone in in church every week and they not be saved. They might be doing all the right things, saying all the right things, doing the right things, but they're not saved. you look, and I just use the example right at the end of this passage of Judas, now, if anyone you'd think was a Christian, it was Judas. Um, he was one of the 12 apostles. You'd look at him and think, we, we have the power of hindsight, which is very good. But you look at him in those days, you think, wow, <laughs> he's a Christian, he's saved. No, he wasn't. And uh, we need to keep going to the end. Um, this should be our attitude. This, this verse, I love this. I've got a couple of verses just as we finish. And this should be what we do in response to God's security. Do you not, In this is 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike my body, a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I must, myself will not be disqualified for the prize. We need to beat our bodies, not literally necessarily. But do you, um, does your alarm clock go off at 6, 6.30 in the morning and say, snooze, snooze? Or do you think, no, I've got an opportunity to meet with the living God this morning. I can get up and beat my body. We need to have that attitude and say, I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go into all that God has for me. I'm not going to be complacent. And again, in the Philippians 3, verse 12 to 14, it says, Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on You're saved. He's got you. He knows you. He's got you secure. But our responsibility is: come on, let's press on into all that God has for us. We're coming into a, a season now in, in the autumn where we can have three weeks of, of prayer and fasting and giving. Let's let's press on into all that God has for us. We have a town down there to save. We are three hundred odd people. Odd. <laughs> 300 odd people and there is a whole town down there that, that needs to be saved, that needs to hear the gospel, that needs to be one for Jesus. There are many people in this town that God has chosen and we need to call them out. Let's come with everything that we have and, and go for it. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Jesus, for all that you've given us. Lord, I thank you that you chose me not for any good worth in me nothing i that was in me was good but you chose me lord and you saved me and you set me apart lord and it's all by your wonderful grace lord and i thank you that you have me secure lord god you have me in your hand no one can take me out of your hand lord god and yet you've called me to press on and to persevere lord i thank you for that balance lord i thank you for your sovereignty and my responsibility. Lord, I pray that, that you will feed us this week, that we will feed on you, feed on your flesh and drink your blood, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. 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 Thank you. I think it's just got the last few minutes. Alid. I wonder if you wouldn't mind coming up and, uh, and the band and sing that song, that um, You Alone Can Rescue, You Alone Can Save, You Alone Can Lift Us From The Grave.